Welcome to Healing the City Podcast. My name is Pastor Eric Seepen. My first name is Pastor. (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't know that. And we are doing uh, some different things here because we don't have uh, a lot of opportunity to podcast because of social distancing. And this also probably means that if you've been listening to our podcast, you realize that a whole bunch of them were recorded before the COVID-19. and so Quarantine. Yeah, before quarantine and all that kind of stuff. So we're actually finally caught up with that. But So this podcast that you have already listened to would be the first um, of that. Sue and I did a podcast last week, but you mm-hmm. probably... Yeah, it's all confusing because this is bad timing. I don't know. Anyway, I'll edit all this out. Today marks the end of my seventh week of working remotely. Wow. And being pretty much in, in a quarantine kind of setup. Yeah, more sequestered. I like, sequestered I like is better. It's sequestered. not really quarantine. We're not being quarantined. I have to say that I have not produced any opuses or any great writings. No, I'm starting to wish I could go back and do something interesting. I think we've done a lot of interesting (laughs) things. I don't know if that's, it's just, I don't don't know if I have produced any works of art that are going to last thousands and thousands of years. Maybe, maybe my Defender song, which kind of came to full fruition, Mm -hmm. you know. I realized that, that I'm not in my podcasting seat and it creaks, so I'm going to have to sit still now. I don't think it'll pick up that much. It does. It picks up. Okay. But that's okay. So anyway, we are just going to do a short podcast. Um, last week, we were talking about uh, Matthew chapter 11 and the burdens we carry. And today, we're just going to talk about a book that you've been reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why don't you tell me at least the title of the book? So it's called Into the Silent Land. Into the Silent Land. By Martin Laird. By Martin Laird. And I heard about this book from Kurt Thompson, who was a psychiatrist, author, who wrote The Soul of Shame and The Anatomy of the Soul. Mm -hmm. And he has lots and lots of lectures um, on YouTube and other places. And uh, we... I think we both really appreciate his holistic approach. That to comes from health. a Christian perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or is it at least contextualized in a Christian perspective? Yeah, it's contextualized there. And so it's just really good that way. So, anyway, tell me a little bit about this book. Uh, what you said to me was when you were reading it, before you knew Kurt Thompson, I guess he makes it uh, required reading for his clients who come to their. Um, center or whatever uh, and so you you were reading it and didn't know that and you had the what was your initial yeah, I thought thought? I should send it to him you thought I should yeah. send him this book <laughs> and why did you think you needed to send him the book uh, I think it summarizes some of what he says and um, it, it's part of his work is a response to Dan Siegel's work who is not a Christian, or at least not writing from a Christian perspective. Um, And it both complements what he writes, but also reaches back into a well of really old Christian history 
of how people have practiced some of these concepts so can, in the Christian tradition. Can you tell, let's just for our audience, Siegel is? He is also a, uh, I guess he's a psychologist. He, he's I don't a psychiatrist know. He's a MD. Yeah, a doctor. Uh, who and, works with the wellness and the body and does a lot of mind body stuff that kind of thing. Yeah, he he writes a lot about the mind and mm-hmm. how our mind is not just our brain, it is our brain and our body and our relationships with other people. Yeah, so, so you were telling me at breakfast and uh, that kind of contrasting the book you read with uh, by Siegel, which was named, do you remember the name of that book? No, but it was about the wheel of awareness. Yeah, so it was about the wheel of awareness. Can, and it you might were, have been called aware, but I'm not sure. You you gave me a quick sketch, roughly, of what he said in that book. Can you give me that sketch again? Yeah, okay, because, so... Because it's an important contrast between this other book and, and what you kind of really enjoyed. Right, so uh, Siegel talks about the wheel of awareness as a... Uh, as kind of a meditation practice where awareness is is at the center and then the rim of the wheel is um, our different experiences. So the things that we're aware of, the objects of our awareness. And, um, and I thought, I think it's interesting. I've practiced that. I found it helpful. Um, But the, wheel that's described in this book into the silent land is actually describing God being at the center and um, the presence of God is at the center of the wheel. And instead of it being our own personal awareness, there's kind of this sense of the rim being all that is God is at the center. His presence is central. And so when we become aware of God's presence with us, we move toward the center of the wheel and then we find ourselves in close communion with others who are um, in the presence of God. So when we lose awareness of God's presence, we actually drift to the edge of the wheel where we become more isolated from others who are following him. So it's more of an interpersonal approach that takes God's presence into account. Yeah. So there's two different wheels. Really. Yeah, they're two different wheels, but but the idea, like the contrast, was important to you and, and seemed um, um, meaningful. When when you talk about that, it makes me think about the passage from Acts that I talked about on Sunday of Acts two forty two, where it says that they were continually that the church was continually devoted, mm-hmm. and and that idea of that word devote being. Um, strong and uh towards towards and strong Mm -hmm. and so there's this idea that the more that they were devoted to a particular teaching a particular gathering a particular praying and eating together drew them into this kind of circle i think you're like an awareness of jesus which creates an awareness of their connection to one another Mm -hmm. which i i would argue probably well it should create an awareness of all these other areas that Siegel's actually touching on in your body and your, mm-hmm. um, in d- the different areas there. So I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> I know you always hate me when I say that. I just said it. I know, but you could add to it. Uh, you always do that to me. 
<laughs> what do you think of that? Well, what do you think about it? Uh, I don't. I, I don't think anything else about it. <laughs> I think other things that come to mind while you're talking. Well, that's what you should tell me about. <laughs> what do you think about when you come to mind? Oh, well, I think um, well, I was reading uh, another part of Acts today. I think in Acts 2, where Paul is teaching in the Areopagus. Mm. No, Acts 17 is where he's Oh, in. dear. I was way off. Yeah, Acts 17. And I think I, I was doing the Pilgrim Group study on the gospel. And the one of the questions is, you know, to look up what is Epicurean philosophy, what is Stoic philosophy, because he's talking to Epicurean and Stoic philosophers along with Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. Yes. And I was really struck by how much of the um, chronic pain recovery thought um, that I think is actually really effective uh, in helping people recover from chronic pain is rooted in Stoic philosophy because it is Stoic philosophy gels well with ideas of mindfulness being aware of the present, not being overtaken by emotions or thoughts, and um, kind of aligning yourself with the natural order of things. And and I thought that was a really, it's interesting that it's effective, but I find it lacking also in that it doesn't take into account the creator and God's union with us or our union with God rather, but God's presence with us and the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so that's something I've been looking for as I think through, um, you know, how do we live in bodies and deal with our emotions and um, fight for well-being in our minds and our bodies, and yet also do it in a framework of God's presence with us and our relationship with God and not do it in kind of an atheistic framework, um, or at least not in a framework that's absent of God's presence. That's what I think. <laughs> no, I think that's really interesting. Uh, the, the idea um, that our brains interact with God and God interacts with our brain so that there's a, a union there and an engagement there. Um, when you don't take that into account, there's just so much missing in your well-being yeah. and there's so much missing in, in who you uh, can become and what you might be invited into. And I think it kind of ends up being self-centered and sometimes, uh, yeah, just self-focused. Yeah, and I think it, it's shallow, self-focused, and not in the way that Jesus invites us to be. You know, where Jesus says to the Pharisees that they're whitewashed tombs um, because they didn't clean the inside. They mm -hmm. didn't, you know, of the cup. They they're just trying to to present the outside. Like the, there is an invitation to know yourself. Um, but not to know yourself in a way of worshiping and trying to regulate yourself completely. Like that's your whole goal in life right. um, is to have this completely regulated life, but to actually be in a place of repentance and forgiveness, which is, um, yeah. 
which I think people are realizing that because forgiveness is a big movement, mm-hmm. both in the Christian but also in the secular world. Definitely. Um, what's the author's name who does all the work on forgiveness that we... Luskin. Luskin. Yes, Luskin. I've watched a number of Luskin's lectures. I haven't read any of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, but you read, didn't you read one of Luskin's books? Yeah, I think it was Forgive for Good. Yeah. And again, I, it, the research is showing it to be truly effective yes. in people, in really changing people's lives and their experiences. Um, but when I read it, I think, I feel like this is missing something because it doesn't account for the fact that God forgave us and there's some way that we pass his forgiveness on to other people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so. uh, yeah. I think, I mean, God's grace is poured out over all people. And, he, you know, just because you don't necessarily have the Spirit of God, it doesn't mean that you can't arrive at things that are true and good. It's just that you have such a thin veil, like, I mean, or a thick veil, because you don't have the Spirit of God to open your eyes to things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, this is getting maybe off track a little bit, but, you know, the, Satan, the accuser, he appears as an angel of light. And so I see a lot of these things like mind body, yoga, um, forgiveness stuff from Leskin, all of this stuff we're learning about the brain. These are good things. But as I read in more and more, and as I study it more and more in the secular world, I begin to see, oh, but. It's just veering off into some very dangerous places, and and you begin to listen to the the people who are experts in this, and the things that they are beginning to be willing to invite in to this process, mm-hmm. or where they end up, where they arrive at. You're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's that's where we're supposed to be going. <laughs> you know right, so, I, and sometimes it seems like it just serves as a distraction. Yeah, from from Christ Himself. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where, you know, maybe the things that Christianity, what we've done as we've embraced the Enlightenment over the last 500 years is that we've lost some of our mysticism. Um, and so we don't have yeah. any way of, of countering the, or saying, no, no, there is a true mysticism. There is a true transcendent experience of the Spirit of God that that isn't necessarily measurable and dissected and... Um, you know, rational in the sense of we we can we can put some propositions out to make this right. And I think that's something that uh, is interesting to me about this book. Which it's funny that we're talking about it because I'm only into a chapter in the second chapter, which is hilarious because it's it's kind of it's written. <laughs> it's a Catholic book, and so and it's written though it's written what in two thousand six six. It like you said at the at the breakfast table is like. It felt like it was 1912 when it was written. And I started reading it and I, I got like three pages into the, and I was like, I can't read this. This is my brain. Like I would read a sentence and then it would just wander off somewhere. It was really hard to focus. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically talking about um, meditation as contemplative prayer, contemplative prayer in the Christian tradition and what that's looked like over the past thousand years, really. Um maybe beyond that, uh, in different people's experience, which is sometimes uh, Christian mystics right? Uh, who spent a lot of time in silence 
experiencing God's presence. And I think into the silent land is a description of God's presence, not so much in that God is silent, but in that when we experience God being present with us, it gives us an opportunity to kind of experience his vastness, his power, the sense that he's not bothered by the things that we're bothered by. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's vast and mysterious, and we can barely know the edges of what's there. But the more we seek him, the more we find. That's that's cool. What was was it you who was telling me about the the quote about isolation versus um, solitude? No, I think yeah. I mean, I that just goes back to the wheel that's described in this book, which is the farther we are from an awareness of God's presence, the more we, the more right. isolated we become. Right. And if we are aware of God's presence in us and in others who follow him, that brings us closer to, to each other. To each other. So, which is kind of a defense against, you know, if you enter into contem- contemplative prayer or into solitude with God, you're going to end up isolated from other people. And the author is saying, no, that's not actually how this plays out. Right. So. Well, at least you would know that you were in going down the right direction if you felt more connected to people as you move into solitude yeah. than if you feel less connected, then you probably know you're in isolation and further from right, God. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, it, it does help kind of center you in, in what you're doing. Um, yeah. So what's the name of this book? Into the Silent Land by and- Martin Laird. Into the Silent Land. You can get and, it on Amazon. And hopefully it doesn't delve into something awful <laughs> in Chapter 3 because... <laughs> it doesn't. I really am only into the second chapter. But it's a very small book, and I've enjoyed yeah. reading it a page at a time and just kind of thinking about it and starting to engage with some of the practices that he describes. Yeah, and it, it doesn't dive anything awful because i mean kurt thompson is somebody we we trust and i would endorse 100 percent. and if he's endorsing a book then it's not going to go somewhere it shouldn't cool so so. (laughs) anyway well thanks for listening to our goofy conversation you can kind of see a little bit of um how sue and i communicate and how i make her uncomfortable a lot so it's a good pick it's not just a good informational thing it's a good picture into our marriage and our life together so thanks honey yeah good to be here you've been listening to healing the city podcast with eric steepen don't forget to subscribe on itunes and spotify and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter